Welcome to Saints and Sisters, a conversational podcast between sisters about faith, moral compass, and the role that God plays in our lives. Follow along as we explore these themes through discussions of books and literature, scripture, and using the current headlines as guideposts. This week, we're discussing two things. First, Reborn, You, Your Child, and the Heart of Baptism. Reborn is a three-session series of educational videos by Formed that go through the rite and mystery of baptism and give a lot of pause for thought about the historical significance of baptism and why it's performed the way that it is today. Formed is a unique parish-based evangelization program created by the Augustine Institute. Check with your parish to see if they have established an account with them so that you can access the extensive library for free. We'll also be discussing the just-released book by Knox McCoy of the Popcast Media Group, All Things Reconsidered. You can find All Things Reconsidered on Audible and Amazon, but we would also highly suggest that you check with your local bookseller first to see if they have or can order a copy for you. Our local bookstores are Walla Walla Book and Game, Prairie Lights Books and Cafe in Iowa City, and Looking Glass Books in La Grande, Oregon. Um, okay, so I feel like I always have uh, disclaimers slash confessions <laughs> <laughs> about um, the commitments, how you reflect on your own baptism or your children's baptisms, or the commitments you made at your children's or godchildren's baptisms. So then I was like, wait a second. I'm Henry's God. Am I Henry? I'm Henry's brother, right? I know. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was like, okay, um, first of all, I'm the worst godmother ever because I don't think I've ever. He's an atheist. Know, it's okay. <laughs> you failed. <laughs> and then my godmother. So do any of you, do you guys have godfathers, godparents, like true yeah. godparents? Because I just, just have godma Don. Oh, Adrian Hagee. But then Judy Brown yeah. and her husband. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's just, just Judy t- Brown. No, I think I have two godmothers. Which is interesting because if you have two, you technically can't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Remember but, some, like, but my kids too, because like you and Aunt Tam are Henry's. But I, I did Island. think that was interesting though, because I was like, huh, it's like another way that they are like saying what their stance is on LGBTQ because it was like, you can have one godparent and it doesn't matter which sex it is. But if you have two, it has to be one of each because it's supposed to be parents. And I was like, it was just another thing that I was like, hmm, I love learning more about this, but it was just one more time that I thought this isn't what I believe at all. So I have, so I have two godmothers, um, Aunt Eileen and Aunt Robin, and then you were saying you have two godmothers. So what was mom thinking? Did mom them correctly? So, and I don't even think they were practicing at the time that mom asked them to be my godmothers. So one, um, of the, so yeah, one of the big things is um, that the requirements for godparents, from what I've heard, the expectations were consistent throughout a long period of time. But that within our diocese, at least, and I think in others as well, they're trying to um, reaffirm what the expectations are and to try to encourage pastors to actually follow through with those expectations because um, there was widespread not really understanding. And so then now we're not necessarily putting importance of that if this person is supposed to be someone who helps lead your child in the faith, then they should be practicing and that it should be specific requirements. And so some people get upset because they want a certain person to be their godparent just as for a different right. reason, not necessarily because they're choosing them to help lead their child in the faith. So I would say kind of who different godparents are from our time period and even like from when our kids were starting to be baptized earlier on, because this shift, 
like within my parish, I think it was in the recent years or within our diocese that they tried to start emphasizing more. And there were questions with some people asking, well, why was this okay before and not? And then that was kind of where the diocese was explaining this wasn't okay before, but people weren't enforcing what it was supposed to actually be. So right. That's where it was supposed to actually be someone who's saying they'll, they will help raise you in the faith and support your your parents and raising you in the faith, right? Right, because you're standing in front of the altar saying that you're going to help bring them up in the faith and you affirm your own faith. And so it's a pretty big commitment, but I think that it just, it turned into kind of with the start of Reborn when they talk about how a lot of people just want to have their kids baptized because it's what you do, but kind of without really understanding the significance or purpose or what their role and what the godparents role would be. I think that all links together. But with the godmother and the godfather, a lot of that is, based on complementarity. And that's where I think um, like looking into theology of the body gives a really good background of the church of why they kind of look into that. Just, I think a lot of that is based on different expectations were not implemented as they should have been. So then there's confusion now based on people wondering, well, why was that okay then and not now? Is that why I'm not any of your children's godmother? No, I was like, I honestly thought about that. And I was like, yeah, after I watched this, I was like, no wonder Amanda didn't choose us for any of it. She was like, yeah, I'm actually choosing real Catholics who are going to do something. Because <laughs> I feel like we just like, like I'm Jesse's godmother and I'm Henry's godmother. I feel like, like for a while, it was just like, we just kind of, you know, we would have different sisters be godmothers. And Mandy was like, shut it down. <laughs> like, I'm actually going to take this seriously. <laughs> But I get it. I understand now. And when I had um, Mandy or when I had um, Asa baptized, then, you know, talking to Aunt Tam, she explained to me just what you were explaining, Mandy, about how yeah, and I'm then, assuming um, you intentionally then chose people that would be godparents in the truest sense, right? For your kids. Right. Wanting them to stand before and be um, examples and supporting their your kids' faith development. Yeah. And that thing with that though is or that's interesting is we never know like when we choose we don't know for sure the strength of the faith of the people we choose throughout their whole lifetime so different people have talked about how someone might have been really strong in the faith when they chose them but they may then not be practicing after a while so I mean there's always not knowing 100% for sure but hoping that they'll be a strong model in the faith and we do have so with my last two especially I focused on um couples from daily mass, because then my girls have been able to see them more. The first uh, two were from out of town and the girls don't get to see them as much. So there's, there's that. And I think about growing up how, you know, Don Hagee as my godfather, he sat in front of us, you know, we were in the second pew, they were in the first pew. And so I saw him every single Sunday and throughout my life. And then Aunt Tam's my godmother. And so then she was further away. And a lot of times I had the connection of aunt versus realizing that she was also my godmother. Although I think she would send, you know, with cards and things, she would say godmother, but I, in my mind, just didn't make that connection as much um, when I was younger, I think. So I think now I've been trying to choose people who are practicing, but also who my kids will be able to see regularly. And so for example, with Teresa, when we asked her godparents, they are older. And so they were worried. They said, why don't you choose someone else who's younger? Because we might die before you're before Teresa was too old but we said no we really want you and they have been more present in her life and seeing her more regularly than probably any of my other like earlier kids godparents so I think that has been good 
which I don't know whether we should leave that in. Yeah, no, I thought one thing um, you're talking about, like godparents checking in. And I remember when we were still living in Massachusetts, one time I was emailing with Adrian and she said something to me about how it's okay if you haven't found your place. She said, when you are growing up, you're raised in the faith of your mother. And then as an adult, you have to find your own way. And I was like, okay. But I was like, well, I don't want any other church. I just don't know if I believe in this one. So, I mean, that was like 10, 11, 12 years ago. And so I feel like I've spent a decade not really answering that question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it may be going back to that, the second book we read. um, And just thinking about how sometimes that gets stuffed back down. Like if, because there's not easy answers sometimes. So then it's easier to avoid than to dive in and really think about it. I think the more I, um, the more we have talked about this and the more I have thought about it, I feel like part of why I haven't wanted to like necessarily think about it too much is just that it's going to be so disappointing to like realize that I just don't have a place. Um, you know, you spend your whole life in a church and you, I mean, we talked about like our strong connections to like having the childhood faith and having people that like families that will like feel like extended family because we had such a small church growing up and then feeling like once you really start diving in and looking at it for me I feel like what is happening is I am realizing that I am fascinated with the history of it I'm fascinated with the culture I'm fascinated with like learning everything about why they believe what they believe but that it's just not going to line up and like where does that leave me Cause I'm like, I'm happy to, to learn about it. And I feel like it's opened me up a little bit more to understanding like why you so fervently believe a lot of the things that you believe, but it also, um, like there are just so many things that I just look at it and I'm like, that's just never going to align. And it ends up being like one that I thought for a long time that I could just shuffle things around and make it fit to my own narrative. But then realizing that like, the whole point of Catholicism is that it is one like universal, like there are certain cornerstones. If you don't believe it, then you're not Catholic. Well, I think part of it is part of the journey of faith is being willing to step forward, even when you don't know how things are going to end up. And so it's good to acknowledge and recognize that that's your fear of one of the reasons why you don't want to dig deep, but then where you have to be willing to step forward and at least investigate anyway. Um, I would say a key part of it is we've kind of talked about before of having like the doubts and questions in one hand, but also having prayer, like trying to foster a relationship with God in the other hand, because that's where like any doubt or question or concern that you have, that should be something brought in prayer to say, okay, like to, in some ways it's like sharing both your desires and your fears and doubts with God, because letting, you know, letting God know, I, I really I like this idea. I want to have this sense of belonging Um, and just kind of explaining like what you were, have already been sharing to us, but trying to do that in prayer and then trying to just take the next step forward rather than worrying about how everything's going to unfold. So like to be able to say, here's all my concerns. Like, what do you, what are you going to do about this? Or how are you going to help me navigate through this? How we help me understand this? But, and part of it is like right now you're at the point where you don't know if you, believe in God anyway. So, I mean, it's even just saying kind of like Margaret's prayer. (laughs) Are you there, Mm -hmm. God? Like, 
kind of at, but there has to be some yeah. type of a opening up and asking and trying to seek and probably even just, you know, talking to different people, how they've navigated that over time. We're asking like suggestions from parish priests or like just different, different books. Well, like, so like I was watching Stella play this week. And she can like imagine and play and like pretend for hours. And like, I have never liked imaginative play. I have never been good at playing by myself. I don't like, like even my imaginary friends. Like, I don't know if mom knows this. My imaginary friends were made up. I mean, like I pretended that I had imaginary friends because it's what other kids did. And so I made up some random oh. names of things that I might play with. I wasn't playing with them ever. Like <laughs> you made up your imaginary friends. Yes. When you'd ask to be dropped off so you could babysit? Yeah, just wanted to, like, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so sad. I mean, like, I think that I, like, that I'm not crazy. saying that I've never um, had an imagination, but I feel like my imaginative play has been more like, I wanted to see what that house was like. So what is a story that I could come up with? Like, it was an empty house. Like, it was... <laughs> <laughs> so and like what's in the plausible you, off. <laughs> you guys should probably clarify that it was two houses down so it wasn't like she was driving her to yeah. some random <laughs> it feels like mom just she didn't, dropped me, she off, didn't drop me off house. she let me walk home from the two block away drop yeah, yeah. Didn't, i didn't get to go in the house but, but like i was gonna, i was getting to enough. like pretend that i had just come home from a babysitting job i was like five whatever but like, you know, I had I big sisters that. who were always coming home from babysitting jobs. But like, I didn't actually have an amount. Like, I tried so hard to pretend like those things were something that I could imagine. And I couldn't. Well, name, and I was like, I was watching her. I was like, huh. Like, maybe some people are just born without the like ability to suspend disbelief. So the names. Or maybe you were like the youngest critical book. thinker ever. So one thing I watched recently is. And I sent you to the link, but I don't know if you've seen it, but it was Bishop Barron. He has yes. a ministry called Blue Empire. Did you have watch that, Sherry? I watched that and it was really good. Oh, I did not watch it. I, let me look and see if I even have it. So I had so some I have questions for you, Mandy. Yeah, so Sarah, you might like that one because what he was talking about, it's about a Christian singer who recently announced that he doesn't believe in God or he doesn't think he believes in God and that um I think you would be able to relate with some of what the Christian singer was saying and some of his concerns. But when Bishop Barron was responding his thoughts of that, he was talking about how people have different ways of being. And I can't remember his exact wording, but he was talking about charismatic Catholics and how that was not a fit for him personally, the bishop, because he's very intellectual. And so that's been the way that he's often leaned toward. And so he's talking about how this Christian singer within his evangelical community that might have not be a fit for his, just like his style and the way that he will encounter God. And so he was encouraging that that man might be a little bit more on the intellectual side of wanting to just approach the faith in a different way or to explore the faith in a different way. So I think in some ways that might be part of your story as well, as far as considering what are the different ways that you can seek to understand God and so how might you approach it? And with the way that you love history and looking into the traditions and different things, and I think that it's something like that as well. But I can't remember fully what he said. So that might be something you would enjoy watching, though. Okay. 
I will watch that. I, I found that I found the thing with the link. All things reconsidered because it's the whole sense of, is when you have questions, there's different ways to explore and knowing who can you go to, like what are all the different resources that you could go to to help you on your journey of exploring and considering. I really liked how Bishop Barron answered the topic of the <clears throat> the singer who left his faith. And the singer was saying how, you know, he felt like so much of his faith when he was younger and with his family was very performative, going through the motions. And um, he didn't believe that anymore. And Bishop Barron was like, that's great. That's your, you know, the childish faith. And when you mature, you can have, you're free from your childish childish faith. And then you have to ask yourself, what is the legitimate lure of the faith? And you're moving from, he talked about first naivete and second naivete. And I didn't, I need to learn more about that. But I mean, basically the idea that it's natural to separate yourself from the faith or the practices that you had as a child and reconsider it. Shameless tie to our book we're talking about. Reconsider it in terms of what you believe now as a mature member of a church or a faith. And so I thought it was, it was kind of a cool yes. And, you know, cause he wasn't saying like heathen come back to the fold. He was saying, that's great. That's natural to question and to find out what you believe, but now take that next step and answer your own question. Find out what you believe. Yeah. And Bishop Barron talks a lot about paradoxes. So he even has a book that has the word paradox in the title. I can't remember what it's called, but he talks a lot about both ands with faith. Um, but he's very intellectual and he also loves a lot of just popular culture. And so a lot of times he'll do he um, like Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he has a lot of different connections um, that are interesting to think. It's called vibrant paradoxes, the both and of Catholicism. I mean, I feel like what you were talking about, Sarah, about how even the thought of imagining, you know, in, in the link from imagination to faith, maybe, and how even then, even as a young child, you didn't buy into or didn't have, you know, you felt like you needed to do it or to see having the, you know, imaginary friends or making up the imaginary friends. I mean, the leap that you took intellectually, I mean, we were joking, but like as a five-year-old, that's pretty, like, I always knew you were smart, but <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty smart to be like, okay, the way I can see this cool house I want to see and to be able to walk home by myself is to say that I need to go babysit my imaginary friends. And then we need to ask mom, like, and, and mom will and, think it's adorable. And, and mom will think it's adorable. So she'll drop you off a few blocks from home. But I mean, I don't think that that, I think that's a strength, you know, being able to be like as an adult, being a critical thinker. And, but it also makes it harder, I think, to open yourself up to faith. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like I'm like a, an ex- Dream skeptic. <laughs> Everything I see, I'm like, but wait, let's let's think about this more. Like, why doesn't that make sense? So part one of Reborn was talking about how baptism is a visible action with invisible power. And then if we see it just as a quaint reenactment of past events, we're missing the point. That statement reinforced that I've been missing the point, like with everything <laughs> that has to do with the Catholic church, because for me, it was just a quaint reenactment. Like I was just doing it because I should my, of course my kids need to get baptized because it's the next step to do. And the only thing I thought of in selecting godparents was like my relationship with them and who they are in my life. I did not think, 
as much about how they would like reinforce or strengthen a relationship with my children in the church, because that just wasn't important to me at the time. It, it wasn't like, I thought like, whatever I want to give to my kids, I'll give them myself and I don't want anybody else influencing it. And so like, it's a nice thing, but I knew I kind of picked people that I knew were like faithful people and good people, obviously, but more like who were they in my life instead of who would they be in my child's life? Whereas I had one shot because I got one kid <laughs> and I baptized her really late. And so I was like, I need to put everything on the table. So I picked Aunt Tam. <laughs> <laughs> like, so now you get a nun. Because <laughs> if she's going to have a shot in hell, she needs a really good one because I'm terrible. <laughs> a shot out of hell. <laughs> a shot out of hell. <laughs> and I'm doing a terrible job at like fostering her faith right now. But I made a good choice at least. Another thing was just like looking at the significance of water, like water as just like a historical piece, water as a symbol. I thought it was just really interesting. It said water has built a story around itself from the time of creation to the culmination of salvation and the purification and baptism. So it was just like, there's just like, a, I mean, there's a lot of beauty in the rituals. And I think like, those are all the things that I love that baptism as an infant is the way to set their children apart and enter them into the community as Jesus did with circumcision for Jewish people mm -hmm. or Jews did not Jesus. Jews did. <laughs> well, Jesus was a Jew too. So I just thought was, right. Yeah. But I couldn't read my handwriting. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that like they were, they, they saw that ceremony and they decided, like, what's something different that we can do that still sets us apart as a people? And it was infant baptism. That I thought was interesting because we do it as infants. And we're, like, we're the only one that does it as infants, right? I don't know if any other I think Catholic Lutheran faith or otherwise. Well. They do it as infants? I think Lutherans So do then it. is it mostly, like, mostly other Protestants and, like, Mormons do it when you're eight? But, um... It said something in the video, and I won't get it right because I didn't write it down, but it said something in the video that they were looking at the circumcision as something that, like, they didn't consent to as an infant. And so they wanted to do something different, and that was why they did infant baptism. So I think that's interesting that they did baptism as an infant, but then later Protestant faiths thought, like, well, that does, they don't have consent, so we're going to do it when they're a little bit older. But I feel like confirmation yeah. is the time that we do it with Well, one thing that um, I've heard from the Catholic side is because um, whole families would be baptized in the Bible. And so they talk about how that would have included infants and that the people were older. It was just because they were older when the opportunity arose. And then with confirmation, it's actually not confirming our faith, which is what we were always taught growing up. And a lot of people still have that conception, but it's not necessarily confirming the faith. It's just like deepening the gifts of baptism. And there's more like, oh. there would be more of a description that... I'm not doing a very good job, but, but yeah, that's often we did see. And that's why Sarah, so like with Henry, when he had his first communion was confirmed at the same time. And some people are still mm -hmm. kind of thinking, like, no, it should be in high school because they need to be old enough to be able to make that choice for themselves. But that's not actually what the sacrament is. And so that's why like going back to that restored order of having them be confirmed younger is because that wasn't what the sacrament was. It was just like a perception over time of, I don't know how many generations thought that, but I know when we were growing up, it was what we were told. 
Like that you were confirming that you wanted to be a member of yeah. the Catholic faith. That's what yeah. I thought it was. But it's, yeah, it's actually not that. But it's like one of the examples of how our generation in general was poorly catechized. Honestly, I don't even know if it was like the fault of the CCD teachers or anything because I was so bored. Like I, they could have explained it to me crystal clear and I still wouldn't have yeah. remembered it because I could not be bothered. I was doodling in the margins of my workbook. I would pay attention just long enough to read the paragraph I was supposed to read. And like, it was so boring and I saw no connection to myself. It was just like one more thing to be able to get to that donut. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember CCD Mandy? Did you feel like even as a young person, did you, I don't have vivid memories of CCD that much. I just remember like, I remember more like sitting at certain locations in the church or the hall Um, And with youth group, I know that it was a huge part of my faith development and going to youth activities. But there's when I try to think about, okay, what specific types of things did we learn? There's some examples I can think of, but a lot of it I don't remember that well. So I think it was more about the sense of community and uh, learning the faith together. But a lot of the specifics like have not um, like don't stand out to me. I know that it has influenced me and. how I mentioned before, when I was in college, I missed having that sense of community to grow in the faith together. But I don't necessarily remember concretely specific lessons, except for some, or like certain scenarios of things that we laughed about. Or, see, so yeah, I don't necessarily remember a lot of of like the faith formation growing up. I think it was more the sense of community. But also just remembering, like I can remember just being drawn to the Eucharist, and so. There's that part too. And that was tied in a lot with, with different youth groups. One thing I have really liked about this also is that every time I watch one of those videos, they'll say something and I'm like, what exactly does that mean? Like talking about salvation history. And I was like, what exactly is salvation history? So then I start like looking things up and I'm like, Oh, what exactly was Vatican II? How was it different from the first, you know, Vatican conference? And then it's like, you look that up and I really loved that part. So Sarah, the Great Adventure Bible, um, that 90-day plan is to get that big picture of salvation history, um, but also on forums. You're like, remember that have... thing that you started that you stopped four days in? And <laughs> <laughs> that I still haven't ordered. The first time that I remember hearing about salvation history was on forums. They have another program from the Augustine Institute called Symbolon, and it's really like, I did that back in 2015 with my parish, and it's a really good understanding of the faith. And there's one episode, I don't remember which episode, but it, you would see in the title because it says either Bible or Salvation History or maybe both in the title. But it gave a really good picture of Salvation History and it was like a bunch of light bulbs for me. So if you, and that would probably be easier than like reading the 90 day plan to give you like a quick glimpse into here's how these different pieces fit together. Still feels like I'm on the outside looking in and I'm still always wishing that I was back at Sacred Heart in Union where it was like, you knew everybody. It felt like you were in a true community. And when I've gone to mass here, and it's my own fault, I mean, because I haven't intentionally tried to make connections, but I feel like I'm just in someone else's community. Even though I've lived here for 12 years now, wait, 14 years. So one of the things maybe to think about with belonging is, um, So like when they talk about how, and I think Sarah mentioned this earlier, just how baptism um, 
there's an indelible mark that seals us to belong to Christ. And so even though a lot of the desire and the seeking is wanting to have a sense of belonging within a faith community, the bigger sense of belonging is, and the most important sense of belonging is the identity in, in God. And, um, and so just recognizing that like the identity of baptism is that you become a daughter of God. Um, so that might be some of kind of to explore because I think when that, sense is more solidly in place than the community with others who are in the faith and that helps connect everything together. But it's kind of like, that's the most important sense of belonging and that people have that longing for. So St. Augustine has a quote talking about, um, he says something like you have made us for yourselves, O Lord. So our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And just kind of talking about how People search for different things to bring fulfillment throughout life, but until they find fulfillment in God, then their like hearts will be restless and they'll be seeking um, just because that's our greatest form of identity. So that may be something to consider, like just alongside the desire for a community in the sense of other people in the faith community, but also belonging to God and having that sense of then thinking, so who is God and having, like, we have our dad as a great example to then try to picture God, the father. So like anything in your life that brings shame or anything that's a disappointment or anything like that, we can think about how God has responded to all of us and how he models well. And so does mom, that sense of unconditional love. And so then if you are able to make that connection with God as well, and knowing that like to an even greater extent, um, that might be an important piece except I can belong to God but he's not going to make a casserole and host a funeral for me so I'll still be stuck having my funeral at the funeral home with the sad folding chairs and no dinner afterwards for the people that loved me (laughs) so I have to find a community (laughs) well but I mean that's what I was saying like once you (laughs) firmly understand like your identity as who you are in relation to God then I think the sense of community within a faith community will naturally come oh, as well. Come. Yeah. So oh, then okay. they'll make the casserole. <laughs> so this, that's interesting. So in all things reconsidered, I remembered this part that he had when he's talking about Westwood Baptist church. And, you know, he said Westwood had a grip on my sister and me spiritually and socially. So it would take something severe and significant for me to leave. But then he went on to talk about <laughs> getting pants in front of everyone. But he called it shanked. I was like, I've never heard that expression before. Um, but he said, but as I've come to find out, faith isn't meant to be simplified or consolidated into a physical location. It's supposed to be complicated and messy and sprawling. And my faith was none of that. Mine was this nice and tidy house plant that I controlled and loved because of all the control I exerted over it. As much as this is an impulse, it's a disquieting one that persists no matter how dedicated I am to the fiefdom I've made for myself. This might be a good um, segue to the book. So I just feel like a lot of what he said about reconsider and prayer and doubt and the value of doubt and seeing it as a positive rather than point of departure from faith, but rather as an entry point into faith. And it kind of ties to what Bishop Barron was talking about, you know, taking that next step. This book was so good. Like I started it, uh, the audio version, but then I had to get a physical copy because I kept wanting to highlight things. And plus it has an, an introduction or a forward by Jamie B. Golden. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love her so much. I do too. Do you listen to the podcast, Mandy? I have, well, I've heard it in Sarah's car sometimes, but I don't regularly listen to it on my own. So if I force her to listen to it, she will. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do so it with Sarah. 
It's so good. I loved his chapter on LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. I had just finished The Last Dance when I read this book, and it was so good. Have you guys seen The Last Dance? You did, Sherry, yeah, did you? love it. So, Amanda, it's like a 10-episode, 12-episode, and it is like all this footage from the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls season. And so it's like heavily focused on Michael Jordan, and it took until now for the documentary to all come out. Wow. And it's so good. Um, but he said, talking about like how it's easy to just say that the best player of all time is Michael Jordan. But he said, eventually you have to choose principle over the ease of understanding, like to be able to like say with the many layers, why you think the way you think. He said, the best connections come when we pair the authenticity of feelings and thoughts and beliefs with the vulnerability of why we believe them. That was an introduction. He has so many good, just gems. Like he's such a good comedy writer because he's like vulnerable. Yeah. But then he just says things that's like, oh my God, you're so smart. Like he's so smart. It sneaks up on you. Uh, towards the end, one What's quote that? that I liked that is similar to what Sarah's been saying with vulnerability is when he says, I'll be honest with you, I'm feeling a lot of shame in this chapter. I'm pretty self conscious and insecure about essentially being like, how do I do a prayer? Or how do I a pray? Well, wait, you'll need to cut that part because I think that might be a typo. <laughs> okay. Like, how do I do a pray? But anyway, so I'm gonna start. Yeah, he's he's saying now he's saying it for real. How do I do a pray? Like he's being like stuttering. Yeah. Okay, so I'll read it over. When I I got. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I'm feeling a lot of shame in this chapter. I'm pretty self-conscious and insecure about essentially being like, how do I do a pray? But these questions are my questions, and while their presence isn't proof of a flaw, it is proof of a deeper disturbance within my understanding that is begging to be excavated. And I really liked that as far as the sense of sometimes we are embarrassed about the questions we have or what we're grappling with, but it's good to acknowledge, but they are the questions I have, and so it's time to go exploring and seeking to better understand those rather than being ashamed that it's the questions people have. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of funny parts, did anybody? <laughs> I was cackling when I read this part. I, I could not. I, Stella was just falling asleep and I was sitting next to her. And it was about <laughs> one time I was at a Starbucks and a barista told me I looked like a Baldwin brother. Yes. I pressed her for which Baldwin brother specifically and she refused to cite an exact one, leading me to believe <laughs> she meant Daniel Baldwin. <laughs> <sighs> it's gems like that that just keep you going i know but note yeah <laughs> it seemed like it was just the perfect time to be reading this book though because the mournful detective um when he's talking about you know encouragement that historically there's an intellectual diversity in christian belief but the modern contrast to that is how christianity has gotten more polarized the net effect is that anything that challenges the insular bubble of accepted mainstream Christianity isn't just wrong. It's also an enemy of the faith, an enemy of God even. And faithfulness, however, he says, faithfulness requires criticism and consideration and doubt. Otherwise, how can you be sure that your belief is valid? So that's what made me connect. You know, then when I was watching Bishop Bear and I was like, yes, it's, it's not an either you believe or you don't, but it's considering what you believe and then how you can confirm that within yourself. And he says, to me, faith demands the reconsiderations of doubt. It's our obligation to not be so lazy in our faith that we forget to doubt 
but also to not be so lazy in our doubt that we forget to build an actual and realized faith. Now when I was like, drop the mic, because I think I've been the latter. Like I've been so lazy in my doubt that I haven't took, taken the time to build an actual and realized faith until Mandy asked us to. I liked his chapter 25, the God card. Yeah. Because it so perfectly illustrated like what annoys me about it. I still remember I went with Jared when he took his MCAT and there was a girl there who I knew from undergrad. And she said to me, she was like, yeah, I didn't study at all. I just figured if God wants me to get into medical school, he'll make me pass. And I just (laughs) stared at her and I was like, you are an idiot. That is the laziest thing I've ever heard. And I feel like anytime people that I meet that just like, well, God will make it happen if it's supposed to happen. It's like, no, you got to work for it too. What are you doing? Like God does not reward laziness. (laughs) I liked that he had that whole chapter where he was just saying like, yeah, I know this is kind of an obnoxious thing also. Like (laughs) your friend Gary may have told you that God has called him to take out a small home equity loan so that he can turn (laughs) his basement into a deluxe man cave. But as much as that smells like a lie, it's not like you can cross check his assertion with God. (laughs) True. It's like, it's the ultimate like, I can just say it. it says, I think the use of the God card is most often about our eagerness to initiate a confluence between God's plan and our own. Like if I want it to happen, I'll just say that God wants it to happen. And if I don't want it to happen, then I'll say, well, God just didn't make it happen. But I was too lazy to just say, I don't want to do this. Amanda, you're blinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever she blinks a lot, I'm like, I know what you're thinking about me. For the, <laughs> For the listeners. <laughs> Okay, so the other part that I really liked, he in it's in that same mournful detective chapter when he's talking about how he has had to really reconsider his upbringing as a Southern Baptist and the attitudes toward the LGBTQ community, and that he said, "The older I got, the more I began to cross paths with people who were not straight or cisgender." And weirdly, when you are confronted with someone's humanity, it forces you to put away generalizations of how they should be and reconcile with how they actually are. And I thought that was interesting and applicable to pretty much any category of people that you can have assumptions about people, a group of people, and until you actually like attach humanity to it, it's really easy to dismiss people thinking about the humanity of situations. Well, when I was reading that section, one thing that I thought was important, and I can't remember, it seems like there was another section, something that he was grappling with, that I also thought about just the importance of sacred scripture and tradition rather than just scripture. I really appreciate with the Catholic tradition, being able to delve deep and to understand the beliefs with so many intellectuals over time and with the authority of the church explaining why. And then what I found is when I've had something that's hard to grapple with, there's a lot to be able to go back to and dig deeper and to better understand why the church says certain teachings that they do. And to also recognize that there's a lot of people within and beyond the church who might not represent that belief well, as far as with their actions or their words or their perception. So like a huge one is the church always affirms the dignity and worth of people And um, sometimes the way that people represent beliefs doesn't demonstrate that. And so I think it's important to cut through that and to see what does the church actually say? How do they think things should be approached? Um, Rather than just because there's many different perceptions in the way that people convey beliefs. 
and some align and some don't, even if they think that they're aligning to a specific belief. I just like the, his vulnerability and admitting, like talking about the struggle of faith when he talks about, you know, there's a tiny little piece of you too afraid to pull at the patchwork of what you believe for fear of the mess you might make. And so just being willing to pull at those strings and think about it and rethink and reconsider. It just really resonated with me because I think that that's just, I haven't been up to now really willing to take the time to look at it. Yeah. I, it's hard to like talk about the book without having everyone had read it. People that are listening. I -hmm. just, it's one of those books that I think that everybody in every stage of life can get something out of it. And if nothing else, then you just are reading about somebody else's like vulnerability and the way that they have reshaped some of their own feelings. But one statement that he said that I really, really liked was my biggest reconsideration is about feeling confident about how much I do not know. And while I'll never find the comfort of tangible understanding, I'm finding a lot of reassurance in being forced to give myself over to the mystery of it all. I don't know. I've said this like a million different ways, but just I am either going to have to get really comfortable with the fact that there's a lot that I'm never going to have answers to and then choose to believe it anyway, or just like give it all up and continue to feel lost forever. <laughs> what do you think, Mandy? Um, I just really like the sense of, cause I've thought about the concept of how it's important to interrogate your beliefs, because if you don't ever think about why you believe what you believe, then they're always going to be shallow. And so it's important to recognize when you have questions or doubts and then seek to better understand and explore. And often the sense of if there's something in popular faith that clash and not popular faith, popular culture that clashes with my faith, then going back and forth to understand, okay, this is what popular culture is saying. What does the church respond rather than just saying like, oh yes, I believe that to then go back and see, well, what does the church say to that? Because often the church has able to say, here's some questions or thoughts or perspectives that come up and here's the church's response to that. So a lot of times in my own investigations, it's been going back and forth. And I think growing up, I've, I like debate as far as the concept of it. And I remember in college that we were doing a mock debate of whether or not we would be pro or, um, or against bilingual education. And that was something that I was very passionate about. I was on the side that was the cons And my side actually won because I remembered all of the arguments that people say against bilingual education, but the people who are arguing pro-bilingual education didn't remember any of the counterpoints. So like in my head, I brought up things and I knew exactly what the counterpoint would be to support bilingual education. And the people arguing that side didn't didn't like state those. So then like my side won in the end. And of course, like it was mock. So I think it's just the importance of you always have to go back and forth. Like if somebody says something, then you have to go like dig deep to what does the other side say about that and go back and forth between the two. So then like, if I see, okay, here's what the church says, then when popular culture considers that, what do they say? And to see whether or not they take that into consideration. So I just love the sense of he didn't use, I don't think he used the concept interrogate your beliefs, but that's just kind of been a phrase that's resonated in my mind of how it's important to know what you believe and why and to continually dig deeper, especially the areas where you feel greater tensions because time's limited. So we can't explore everything. <laughs> Mandy's like, don't give up. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think, I think a huge piece will be like, if you have a regular prayer life to try to connect, because I think a lot of seeking like without trying to also do it with building a relationship, I think it's going to be hard. You're saying we have to pray. 
I'm saying like MC Hammer says we've got to pray. We've got to pray just to make it today. <laughs> I don't I that was another part of that book that I um that I liked just how you know like the the chapter on praying and that you How do I do a pray? <laughs> yeah. That's another time where I just feel like I'm just saying these words, but like I don't know if it's really working. I don't know if it's listening. Do I say, I mean, you gave us some examples of prayers last time, I think, but so of course I didn't do any of it. <laughs> do you pray the rosary, Mandy? Yes. Yeah. Like regularly? Uh, yeah. Like well, so for a while I was doing it daily. I haven't, so I'm trying to get back into the routine, but sometimes like prayer life changes over time as far as what the emphasis is. But yeah, the rosary has been a pretty big part of like the last five years or so. Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys want to do for the next thing? Oh, okay. The Our Father, A Short Course. On Formed, I'm looking on the app right now. It's called The Our Father, A Short Course with Dr. Ben Akers. It's six sessions. When asked what they should say in prayer, the Lord gives his disciples the Our Father. This prayer is considered a gift from the Lord and the one that we should especially turn to in times of crisis. This series will go line by line through the prayer, highlighting what it meant to Jesus's first century audience and what it means for us today. Okay, so maybe we do the Our Father thing. And then we can have a discussion on prayer if we were able to connect to it better once we knew what it was supposed to mean more. Yeah. Like, like we have to genuinely say the Our Father however many times in a week, (laughs) like saying Bloody Mary three times in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Mandy's like, how much longer can I hang on to this? (laughs) How much longer can I do this? No, but I mean, these things are logical. Like we've talked about the mass. We talked about baptism, godparents, belonging, and now, I mean, I keep coming back to, I mean, Mandy, you keep reminding us that, like, this study is all good, but you also have to be building your relationship with God and with faith, and so I think that might be the next logical step. Like, we might actually have to talk to God. Um, Are you there, God? It's me, Sarah. So that's what we're doing. The next session is formed. Funny aside, when I searched, I went on the app store to find the formed app. And so I just said, you know, formed Catholic. The first app that comes up is Catholic match dating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and Sarah was talking about the app. Um, They also have an app just like that you can watch on the TV as well. So like we watch it through our Roku. Yeah, it's the same app, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, because you were showing on your phone. so I Because your phone is a smart TV in your hand. (laughs) Yeah, but, this little sweetie uh, pie doesn't have a smartphone yet. Oh, uh, yeah, you don't. Oh, right, because you wouldn't. She still has it. a. She doesn't have a flip phone. She has the slide phone that has the cord. Yeah, the slide. Yeah. I know, Mandy. Since you're way ahead of us in the whole prayer thing, what if this week you pray, "Should I get a smartphone?" <laughs> <laughs> and see what he says, but you have to be open to listening to it. <laughs> if I'm going to spend six hours. Because how else can you get the I Confess app if you don't have a smartphone? (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to pray every day, you can at least try to discern prayerfully if you should join us in the smartphone age. Because then you could get Marco Polo with us. Yeah. Because almost every time I text to the group, Amanda will text back to just me. And she'll be like, I can't see Sherry's reply. I'm like, yeah, that's too bad. I should just start. I should just stop telling her what it says. Get a smartphone. (laughs) Then you see it. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.